11th through the 13th for the boys. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. It's five minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 on the FM dial. Trent and I with you until, well, toward the top of the hour. Zubin Mehente, our friend from ESPN Mornings on ESPN Radio, will join us here in about 20 minutes. Perfect opportunity to talk to David Eichel from uh, HawkeyeInsider.com as I'm watching during the break this tweet from Courtside Films. At Courtside Films has Jack McCaffrey and Luke Weiskamp, Weiskamp, um, with some of the highlights from one of the AAU took. Okay. Holy crap, does look, Luke look like his older brother? Does he play like his older brother? He does. All right. So does another. The, he, they could be, if you were to turn the clock back mm-hmm. and I was looking at Joe's eighth grade tape, right. I would think that this is one and the same. And Jack McCaffrey, um, he's got some game as well. Fran McCaffrey's in the stands. But if you're a Hawkeye fan and you're. You want to see this at Courtside Films. It's about, I don't know, 60-second clip uh, from this past weekend. David Eicholt, HawkeyeInsider.com. He joins the program. David, uh, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. Have you seen that uh, piece of video yet that's making its way through the Internet this morning? Yeah, I have, and I've seen quite a few uh, quite a few of those highlight tapes, and thanks for having me back. But, yeah, I'll tell you, I, I do think that these two guys are going to be both nationally ranked prospects. Uh, when it's all said and done, I mean, I know Jack McCaffrey has said, uh, or at least Fran has said that Jack wants to be a seven-foot point guard. Uh, so I'm interested to see if that happens and what uh, revolutionary type thing that would be. But, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I think Luke plays like his older brother. And like you said, I know it sounds weird to say out loud, but, man, I mean, they just look so much alike. They you turn really the clock do. back, you could have convinced me that was Joe Wieskamp in eighth grade. I couldn't agree with you more. And the games are similar. And, um, yeah, I'll say so. Will Patrick? Well, will Jack McCaffrey? Because uh, Patrick's what six nine? Yeah, six nine. Will 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 yeah. Jack be as tall as him? Can he get to seven foot? What do they think? He? How tall do you think are they forecasting? Uh, can you do that? Will grow to? You know, I, I I'm trying to remember how tall he is right now. I do think he's at least six seven right now. Jeez. I mean, he is not a small eighth grade kid, uh, right now. Yeah, uh, you know it, it's. I mean, you look at his, you look at the family lineage. I mean, anything's possible. It really is. It, it really wouldn't surprise me if he gets to six foot ten, six foot eleven, and he still gets that quickness and he has that ball handling ability. And he can play point guard. I mean, yeesh, that's going to be a very, uh, very highly touted prospect. Uh, to say the least. Hopefully he has a better jump shot than, you know, like a Ben Simmons or something like mm. that. That might help a little bit more too. But you know, you never know. But yeah, he's already got some good size on him and. You know, there's probably at least one more growth spurt in there if he's only in eighth grade. And speaking of shooting, Jack McCaffrey has got a lot prettier shot than both of his older brothers. Something that'll work (laughs) has has bothered me for a long time. Uh, When you start shooting when you're young, you got to get that thing fixed, and didn't happen for the older two. Jack, yeah, he's got that thing figured out. At Courtside Films is where you can see it on Twitter. A lot of fun to watch with that all Iowa attack team. So let's uh, jump into the here and now. And what's next for Iowa basketball? Start, David, and fill us in on, on your perspective as. The rumors have been out there for months about going mm-hmm. home for for Frederick. An opportunity to play in Kentucky, an opportunity 
to play with the program that you grew up cheering for on and on and on. It's been out there, but it felt like a stretch all throughout. And then especially after Grady, the kid from Davidson, committed in the transfer market to Kentucky, that maybe that ship had flown. What happened here? How did this progress, say, over the last week or two? Yeah, you know, first of all, I want to clear up something, too. I, you know, I know a lot of people have been saying this has been the works for months. I, I have a very hard time believing that CJ was planning on doing this for months because, I mean, if he had been doing that, I don't think he would have been out, out on the court with plantar fasciitis and playing through all the injuries that he did just to try to contribute to Iowa. So, you know, if, if there was stuff behind the scenes that were going on, I don't have those details confirmed, so I don't want to sit here and report that. Uh, but as far as like CJ planning it for months, I, I, I don't really think that happened just because, like I said, he was playing through the pain. But, you know, I do think it's fairly obvious that this took Iowa by surprise. I think that when you look at the contrast of like a Jack Nungy leaving or someone else leaving as compared to what uh, the reaction was when CJ left, as far, especially as far as the Iowa Hoops press release and mm-hmm. all that. I mean, yeesh, there's no Night comment day. from Sam McCaffrey, no well wishes, no you know, any of that. It was just, he's entering his name in the transfer portal. That's it. So, you know, it it does seem just kind of wild to me when you think about why CJ came to Iowa. Remember, Steve had plenty of opportunities elsewhere, and he chose to walk on to Iowa originally because Iowa's scholarship limit was full. Uh, Then Christian Williams left, I think, two days before the season or a day before the exhibition, and then CJ took over Christian Williams' scholarship. So mm. to go from once walking on to transferring now, it does seem like a little bit of a bizarre uh, situation, and I'm interested to see where he winds up. And, you know, I do want to clear up something, too. From what I've been told, I don't think he grew up a Kentucky fan. I think he grew up a diehard Notre Dame fan. Oh. But obviously, like you said, he played he played at Covington Catholic, which was in Kentucky, so there's probably a lot of, a lot of pull from that standpoint. But you know, like you said, I'm interested to see if Kentucky actually does pursue him. I know they need a lot of shooters. And, you know, if, if Cal Perry does try to pursue him and they try to get him, I mean, they could probably say, hey, I can make you into a Tyler Hero type player. And if that happens, I think that's going to be a really tough thing to, to turn down for CJ. So you don't think this is a done a fait accompli that he's going to uh, play his college basketball in Lexington? I think it's the most likely, mm-hmm. but as you guys know, I, you know, it's hard for me to go on the record about what I think is actually going to happen because this stuff changes sure. so suddenly. Um, you know, maybe if Cincinnati wants him, maybe Notre Dame wants him. I mean, I think CJ is going to get a lot more attention than what he and his family think when he enters the portal. Interesting. I mean, if he can stay healthy, he's a 47% three-point shooter. I think probably one of the top 10 shooters in the nation. He's a plug-and-play guy, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and you can plug him into about any offense in the country. And if he's healthy, he can be a pretty viable defender as well. So uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of attention there. Obviously, Kentucky will be a huge pull, but you never know what schools are going to pursue him. And if he's open to that idea, then, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. So let me dovetail on your theory, because I threw out a a tinfoil hat theory that Trent wanted no part of uh, Mm -hmm. here at five minutes after 10 this morning. So I, I agree with you. I think McCaffrey was totally caught off guard, and you can go back to Wednesday in his press conference when yep. he talked about him, and he, he, was, he couldn't wait to get back on the pl- practice floor. Well, apparently that happened on Friday. Uh, he was working out with Joe Wieskamp and the strength and conditioning coach, apparently, uh, and I wondered if he got a clean bill of health and he realized, uh, as importantly to himself, that this plantar fasciitis is behind him, and only then did he really 
uh, get the process moving quicker than it than it was. Would you buy into that? That you know, if he wasn't healed, he's going to stay at Iowa. Uh, but since it, uh, he did go through that workout, maybe whatever. Uh, he felt good enough to realize that uh, I will have options and then entered his name in the portal. The only way I'd buy into that theory is if there were like NBA scouts, except there were college scouts at the game, right? So, I mean, different schools were there watching him work out and being like, oh, yeah, we take a chance on him. But obviously that didn't happen. And, you know, I think CJ is one of those guys where he is going to bet on himself. I think we've kind of seen that again when he walked on to Iowa. And I think that, you know, if he wants to go and, and do his thing, I, I don't think a workout would have made that much of a difference. And at least from, from my experience covering CJ, he doesn't strike me as, as a really big excuse guy and he plays through a lot of pain. So I think if he wanted to leave, which he obviously did, I think he would have just left. I think that, um, you know, again, I think he knows how popular his name would be in the portal. And, you know, who knows? Here's my thing too. I don't know what his family situations like. Like maybe again with COVID and all the stuff he's had to battle through, maybe he wanted to be closer to home. And I think another aspect that people aren't taking into account is CJ is looking around the locker room like, who's still here when I got here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about this. Jack Nungie and him were extremely close. Jack Nungie's going to Xavier. I think Joe Wieskamp's going to the NBA. Joe Wieskamp's gone, and I believe those two are roommates as well. He's gone. Uh, you look at Jordan Bohannon. I don't think Jordan Bohannon's coming back. Again, I don't know that for sure. I don't think so. You know, Jordan's gone. Luca's gone. CJ would be the veteran guy with a whole new team, and maybe he wants a situation where, you know, he can get some more, you know, notoriety. Um, get his name uh, just as far as like a professional basketball career, get some more highlight tape and get some more exposure because there's so much unknown about this Iowa basketball team going into next year. So, I really do think that there's a lot more at play here than just cut and dry. You know, I know the rumors have been out there for months, but I do think that there was a lot more that went into the decision than than uh, just potentially him going to Kentucky. Going to be a very young team, but certainly a lot of minutes available, especially inside. We've uh, heard and talked a lot about the North Dakota transfer in Philip Rabraka. Any other names? I know EJ Anu from Shawnee State and NIA program. That's getting a little bit of buzz. Very athletic guy that can shoot it well from the outside. Any other names popping up? And do you think they're going to fill all three of the open scholarships here in the transfer market? You know, that that's my big question right now. Right now, as far as the big men goes, no. I don't think that there's really any other names buzzing right now. But I'm interested to see who they go after as far as shooters. Because there's no doubt they need shooters right now. You look at the roster. <clears throat> I mean, there's really no proven three-point shooters on this team. CJ obviously would have been the best, but who, who's the best now? Is it Patrick McCaffrey? Is it Keegan Murray? Like, those guys aren't exactly consistent from three. Yeah, they had flashes, but I haven't seen enough of Aaron Euless to be able to say if he can be a three-point shooter. Tony Perkins doesn't strike me as the guy who's ready to do that. Uh, Joe Toussaint obviously is not proven in that area either. So it, it's going to be very interesting how Fran McCaffrey does end up using those scholarships. I think that he is going to have to get at least one shooter maybe two, maybe they go after a big man or two. And I do think that there will be a conclusion on Rabraka by the end of this week or early next week. I think he's in the decision-making process. The most buzz I've heard right now is Minnesota and Iowa. So, you know, we've, we've seen Iowa come down to the final two for a lot of transfers over the past two years. We'll see if, uh, we'll see if they'd be able to close that. But I do think there's a lot of open playing time uh, with this team next year. And if that doesn't work out, then, you know, who knows where Fran McCaffrey and them are going to go. I still think they're evaluating prospects. Like you said, there's a lot of minutes. And I do want to say this, too. I think part of the solution is Riley Mulvey is going to play next year. 
from what I've been told. I think he's going to play 10 to 15 minutes a game. The original 2022 commit who reclassified to 2021, by the way, officially signed his letter of intent to Iowa yesterday. So he will be a Hawkeye. He will be on campus. I think he gets 10 to 15 minutes a game. So maybe they only go after one big man, and then they expect Riley to take over for part of that. Maybe Josh Ogundale plays a few minutes here and there, emergency minutes if they need him. And then maybe Iowa goes out and lands a pair of shooters in the portal. Different direction to go, certainly. And I think the biggest knock against Mulvey is that picture from two years ago where he's just he's tall and he's gangly and he's got his arm around Fran. That picture, I think, has maybe set some people up for expectations that aren't there. I know you've seen a lot of film on him. He's a lot bigger. He is a, a thick kid now at 240 pounds. And you got to figure he's going to get bigger once he gets into the college weight room. Yeah, you know, that's one of the top priorities for Mulvey when he gets to campus. He does want to put on another 10 to 15 pounds of muscle, but I'll say this. His offensive game is still coming together, but if Iowa fans have been wanting a rim protector, Mm -hmm. he is a rim protector. He is a very good defender. He swatted away over six shots a game in high school, 12 points, 12 rebounds, six blocks. Again, a younger guy, so his offensive game will develop, but you don't exactly need that. You need putbacks, you need a few big buckets here and there. If he could come in, be a spark off the bench, and maybe in his second year average 9 to 11 points, you know, seven rebounds, three block shots, be that sort of defensive anchor. Uh, It's going to be just a complete change, I think, of what we've seen from Fran McCaffrey's squad over the past few years. He might be the best rim protector since, gosh, I know Adam Woodbury I thought was pretty criminally underrated defensively. He didn't block a lot of shots. He was a great communicator, altered a lot of shots. Um Maybe Gable O'Shaney. Yeah. Not as athletic, but as far as consistency, I think that uh, I think he really is going to swat away a lot of shots. I think he'll make a big difference in the post if he can just learn how not to foul in the post, which obviously we've seen big guys struggle to adjust to the Big Ten game. But, you know, again, I do think he is going to play next year from what I've been told, and I think what they're going to be telling Philippe or Braca or, you know, EJ Onu or whoever else they say, hey, look, you're going to be the starting guy. This kid's going to come off the bench for you. There's minutes there. And uh, from what I've been told, the, the expectations and the goals that have been laid out for Goldie and his family, they're reasonable, and they're transparent, and they're realistic. So I think they have full confidence in what Fran can do, and I think Goldie's just kind of, you know, I don't want to overuse this after the last time it was used, but chomping at the bit to get to Iowa <laughs> and to start working up that strength. Yeah, okay, careful with that term over there. Eric Hansen is a comp that <laughs> I would use uh, for him. I, I, Eric Hansen playing in the Horner and Bruner days. Big yeah, guy, limited yep. offensively, but a really good defender and an excellent shot blocker. I think if he can develop into that, Iowa's got a good one in the middle. Well, normally at this time, David, we'd be talking all football. Maybe there'd be a basketball question at the end, but it would be all football. Yet here we are, what, 10 minutes into our conversation and haven't even touched on it. So let's get there. And just an overview, what you saw on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. You know, I think a lot of people want to know about the quarterback battle, and you know, maybe I'm in the minority here. I saw some good things from all three quarterbacks. Mm. I really think that all three quarterbacks were on a very similar level, but they all had different skill sets. I was very impressed with Alex Padilla when he came in, threw two touchdowns, ran in for another touchdown. Deuce Hogan, I thought, showed some good scrambling ability, had a, and just some nice just IQ, high IQ plays, not taking too many risks. And Spencer Petras ended the, the, the 11-on-11, the two-minute drill, with four straight completions before you know overthrowing an out route, but that's when Tyler Goodson broke away for a big run. But Look, Iowa's defense, I think, is going to be sharp. I saw a lot of good things out of the defensive line. I think the linebackers could be extremely steady. The secondary is going to live up to expectations. And I'll tell you, I think Tyrone Tracy, my bold, you know, quote-unquote hot take, Tyrone Tracy will be Iowa's first all-Big Ten receiver 
since 2000, I think 2012 and Marvin McNutt was. I, I loved what I saw out of him. He's explosive, made a lot of big, big plays. Tyler Goodson looks a bit faster. Offensive line needs a lot, a lot of work. But, you know, I'm very interested to see what the difference is going to be from April 17th to May 1st. Mm-hmm. But I really, really liked what I saw for the most part out of that team on Saturday. Uh, what about Gavin Williams? So there, some, there was some Twitter on uh, a, a, a pretty good day for him. Did you see that? You know, I saw a lot of improvement. I think when I watched him in high school and I scouted him, he really didn't have that cutback. He tried to run through guys, had great straight line speed, some good strength, but he had a very nice, I think, 18-yard cutback run to get in the end zone, juked out a couple defenders to get in there. I think it's without a doubt. I think he is going to be Iowa's number two running back if Ivory Kelly Martin is not 100%. But I think Gavin Williams is going to play this year, and I think that his skill set combined with Tyler Goodson, it's a pretty solid uh, combination, different skill sets. But I really liked what I saw Gavin uh, progressing faster than I thought he would, but the toolkit's uh, sort of always been there. But uh, I think Liddell Betts is going to have those guys ready to go. And I, I liked, I really did like what I saw of him. He can continue to develop as a blocker and kind of, again, continue to sort of perfect those cutbacks and those quick feet. I, I like his ceiling. I like what he can bring to the table. Good stuff. Uh, we appreciate it, David. Uh, thanks for coming on. HawkeyeInsider.com, part of 24-7 Sports. Doing a great job over there, David. Uh, thank you. We'll talk to you in the weeks ahead. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah, good to talk to you. David Eicholt on the Hawkeyes. All right, uh, take a timeout. We'll come back with our friend Zuba Mahente. But before we do that, Trent Condon. Don't forget. No, this is where we... Had our misstep yesterday. That's right. Time for another to hit another thousand dollar home run. Enter the keyword trip at kxno.com to win a thousand dollars. That's trip at kxno.com. It's easy. Simple. Simple. KXNO.com. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your work computer. And it pops up automatically. Automatically. Don't even have to search for it. Once you once it appears, enter trip. For a chance to win $1,000, Zubin Mahente joins us next, 1460-KXNO-106. A business name is important? Sure. For one, it's how we connect with you, find you, and do business with you. But what's behind the name matters more. Roshan Corporation of Iowa is now Graphite Construction Group. We're building offices, retail centers, tenant improvements, schools, and more. But the most important thing we build? Our relationship with you. Let's get started on your construction project. Visit us at graphitegrp.com. Clean, unless it's zero res clean. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Hi, Miller and Condon. Welcome back. It's 11.30 on a Tuesday. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 on the FM dial. Love this segment each and every week. Our friend Zubin Mahente from ESPN Radio. He joins us as we go around the world of sports with Zubin. Zubin, as always, Trent and Ken, grateful that you found time for your friends here in Des Moines. How are you? Good. I didn't think anything would be able to take the attention away from the NFL draft on our show. It's practically all we talk about. But i, I got to tell you, one Steph Curry yep. uh, has changed quite <laughs> a bit. It's still almost all football, but uh, he edged his way in there. And uh, it's interesting because we haven't talked a lot of NBA draft nine days away. But uh, 
I honestly think it's probably right now one of the biggest stories in sports that a lot of people aren't paying attention to. I couldn't agree with you more on both fronts, Zubin. Uh, it's it's um, it's the NBA and it's Des Moines. So, but I, as I said early in the show, I think that. There's hardcore NBA fans here. There's no question about that. But I feel like, at least personally, that I'm missing one of the greats' career. It's unfolding in front of you know my eyes, but they're closed to it. And part of it's Golden State. Part of it, it's the Pacific time zone. Uh, but this kid, what he's doing and continues to do, uh, especially in what his last 10 games, the role has been historic for crying out loud. Um, but I, I'm missing Steph Curry's career. And it would take a performance like that to knock the NFL draft down a peg. And that's what he's doing. It's amazing. The league is desperately hoping the Warriors can end up making the playoffs or at least the play-in game. Teams 7, 8, 9, 10 in each conference, mm-hmm. regardless of how far back they are will make the play-in tournament. Right now, the Warriors are 29-29, and 29, and they're in ninth. So the league is just hoping beyond hope they can hang on and make it. Two things I would tell you. You know, his last five games, you can't even mention this month has just been crazy. Last five games, 53, 42, 33, 49, Jesus. 47. Like, it's <laughs> nothing. Um, I heard this stat the other day. Once you kind of catch on, it's not as amazing, but it sounds amazing. Steph Curry has um, the most combined three-pointers in the NBA in a three-game span, any four-game span, five-game span, six-game span, <laughs> seven-game span, eight-game span, nine-game span, ten-game span, 11-game span. Wow. It's just amazing. And the one thing I would tell you, we had Legler, Tim Legler on the program today. He won the uh, three-point contest. It was called the long-distance shootout back then 25 years ago. And he's probably as good of a shooter as anybody listening. And I said, you know, as a shooter, when you look at this guy, what do you think as a shooter, not just as a basketball player, but as a guy that made your living in the league shooting? And he said, I thought this was very instructive. He goes, listen, I know you guys talk about sports debates, and we all as fans talk about debates all the time. You know, Brady and Montana and Tiger and Jack and whatever the case may be. He goes, there's always like an argument for like, well, yeah, but. He goes, but in the greatest shooter of all time debate, he said it's Curry one, and he said the gap is so far, mm. I'm not even sure who two is. This is all time. And he asked him, well, who's two then? If Curry's a runaway number one, the number two would be a combination of some, some part Clay Thompson and some part Ray Allen. And, you know, he threw out Reggie Miller. But he just said in every sports debate out there, there's always the argument. You can always make that argument for someone else or another team or another statistic. But he goes, in the in the category that is greatest shooters in NBA history, not only is he number one, which isn't too much of a surprise, that there isn't anyone in his galaxy, Jesus. which I thought was amazing because of guys like Miller and Larry Bird and yep. Clay Thompson. So that says it all from a guy that knows how to shoot. Yeah. He has, he has changed the game more than anybody since... Mm. That's a good one, Trent. I, I don't know if there's anybody. I mean, you well, have to, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you might have to go back that far because people didn't have the physical abilities of Michael Jordan to be able to be Michael Jordan and change the game in that direction. The way the NBA game or is LeBron. played today, LeBron. Yeah, yep. it, you're, not many six nine, two hundred eighty pound guys <laughs> just walking around that could dribble and shoot like LeBron James. Steph Curry, not real big. He's only six three. It's attainable for everybody, and the way the game is played. I think you're right, Zubin. Do you have to go back to Wilt for a guy that has changed the game this much? Yeah, I mean, for Wilt, obviously, it was rules changes. In this case, 
it's just a paradigm shift, and it's in any way, shape, or form. I think you could make an argument that Steph Curry has changed. Um, I mean, listen, when your kids start playing their little youth league basketball, when I was a kid, I'm 42, you know, at the beginning of a game, we'd have a, during practice, there'd be a layup line. And now if you go watch any young group of people play basketball, everybody's just shooting threes and warm up <laughs> instead of doing the layup line. I think the women's game, which is largely played below the rim, has benefited greatly from somebody like Steph Curry because of the emphasis on shooting. That's been really big. He's up for a big contract again at the end of next season. Um, I can't imagine him playing anywhere else but with the Warriors. I don't think you see it. I mean, listen, I mean, people have made the argument as great as Brady was. Nobody thought he could leave New yeah. England if you put yourself back in that spot a few years ago. I mean, he's great as LeBron is, as great as Jerry Rice, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky. They all left. Yep. And it's one of in some in some cases that were told to leave. But it's one of those things where with Steph, there's been some rumors, you know, would he go home and play uh, for the Hornets? Uh, for Michael, his dad was a broadcaster in Charlotte, went to Davidson, the whole thing. Um, I think people are just looking for those angles. He just seems, though, like a guy that is going to be with Golden State the rest of the way. And the problem that he's having right now is he's chasing something that's unattainable, which is, you know, they went to five straight NBA finals. And every single time they had an opportunity to show someone else it was their team, they showed Steph it was his. So. I think in some cases he's chasing a ghost he's not going to be able to catch due to the success that he's had. You're always going to compare them to the team that went to five straight NBA finals. You know, this is a team that's fully constituted. I'm not sure if they bring back everybody like Clay Thompson and James Wiseman gets healthy. I still think they're probably a tick below the Lakers. So I think he's probably in some ways been the victim of his own success. But I think in some ways for a guy that's 33, and had ankle problems, and people weren't sure what kind of player he was going to be. <laughs> he far exceeded anything anybody could have expected. Uh, glad we had this conversation. Uh, really good stuff. Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Zubin, so let's get to the NFL, uh, a topic that is dominating. Uh, you're certainly your uh, program is, I'm assuming, most everything uh, at the uh, four-letter network, ESPN. Zubin, my question, and I keep coming back to it, is I don't know why Atlanta, and I know Atlanta doesn't move the needle here in Des Moines, not a lot of Falcons fans, um, but I don't get why they're even entertaining not taking whatever quarterback is there at number four. I, they, they're going to need one. They may never get in an opportunity to have that top five pick again. I know they showed up yesterday in Fargo to watch Trey Lance. The Patriots were there. The Broncos were there. I think there was nine teams. Obviously, the Niners were there. Uh, I don't get why Atlanta seemingly is willing to forego a quarterback when just a year or two down the road, they're going to need one in a big way. There's no doubt about it. Keep in mind, obviously, they've got a whole new uh, contingent there. They have a brand-new general manager in Terry Fontenot who came over from the Saints. So, obviously, he knows Matt Ryan well. I think people don't take into account what a sneaky good rivalry New Orleans and Atlanta is. It's actually pretty nasty as far as Southern NFL rivalries uh, go. So, I think he wants to put a his own spin on it. And I think Matt's still got a couple good years left. I do. But I also think to your point that a new GM is going to want his own guy in there. Their new head coach, Arthur Smith made his name on offense with the Tennessee Titans. So you've got an offensively inclined head coach that clearly is going to want to mold a young quarterback. So from a GM and head coach perspective, it almost makes too much sense to not take one. And I am actually of the thinking, I've said this before um, that, you know, you know, people are saying if, if Mac Jones falls, how far will he fall? What if the 49ers thing is a smokescreen? How far would he possibly go? Uh, now that the Panthers have Darnold, could he fall to New England at 15? My general opinion is that these five quarterbacks 
are going to go pretty quickly off the board. Now, if we go one through four at quarterback, that'll be something that's never been seen in the history of the NFL draft. But I just believe whether you're Justin Fields or Lance or Mac Jones, whoever you are, um, I do believe that for the most part, um, even if a team has a quarterback, it's just too juicy to pass up. I don't think it's quite like Aaron Rodgers and George Love, but I think if a quarterback falls in your lap in a league that's bereft of quarterbacks, you can spin this guy for some draft capital, put him on the bench, not put him out there, have the intrigue. So I agree with you. I think the Falcons should go four. We talked about it this morning. He just thinks it's entirely too high to draft Kyle Pitts, even though Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher was on the show this morning and unprompted. I mean, he was just, just raving about uh, Kyle Pitts. They had actually edged Florida in a great game that they had this past season. Um, but, you know, we mentioned Hawkinson and Noah Fant and Gronk and Kelsey and, of course, George Kittle, Tony mm-hmm. Gonzalez. None of these guys, all these all-time greats, were gra- drafted particularly high at the tight end position. So I think you take a quarterback, even if you really don't need one, realizing what you could have with, with regard to spinning it forward. Um, but if they were to, you know, go non-quarterback, you got to look at Pitts, and then obviously the Bengals might be looking at Sewell to protect Burrow. So I think if the top four go quarterback, it'll be an unprecedented day in NFL history. And it's a matter of who's there. Where's Kraft? People have been talking about Davis Mills of Stanford now. All these other quarterbacks are now coming out of the woodwork. It's pretty interesting. You know, really. Do you know, Trent, do you know Arthur Smith, coach of the Falcons? Do you know what his dad owns? No. <laughs> Take a guess, Trent. Take a guess. <laughs> I mean, the, the football thing doesn't work out. Smith and Wesson. That's a pretty good guess, actually, but no. He owns FedEx. Well, <laughs> right? all right, he'll be okay. It's unbelievable. He's going to be... It's Can you that, imagine? It's that Smith family. That's the family. That, His dad owns FedEx. That is crazy. Well, I was uh, perusing this morning the latest updated mock draft from Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, and I get all the way down to 10 where the Cowboys are selecting, and I see Patrick Sertain II is the pick that they had in their mock draft. That's the first defensive guy off the board. Is it really 12? And then I went a little bit deeper. The next defensive guy that went off the board, you have to go all the way to 15 to the Lions and Micah Parsons. Two guys in the top 15. I heard the other day, I believe it's been 1994, I think was the year, the last time there wasn't a defensive player taken in the first seven selections of the NFL draft. Is this just a one-year hiccup here, not as many elite defensive prospects, or is this the evolution, the way football is going, and it's going completely now to the offensive side? I think it's probably the latter with a small caveat is that the Cowboys at 10, just because uh, I think, you know, uh, Stephen Jones has come out and said it, other people have come out and said it, they need somebody on defense. I think it's easy to say, well, you just signed Dak to a $66 million signing bonus. You're giving him $75 million year one. But he's got Zeke in the backfield. He's got Amari Cooper. They have enough weapons on the offensive side of the football. And as our Mike Tannenbaum, our front office insider, who was at the Dolphins and the Jets said, I think he said, they got to stop trying to win games 49-47 and try to win a couple games in the team, you know, <laughs> or like 14-10 or something like that. That was something that wasn't there last year. We actually had Patrick Sertain's father, who was a pretty good player himself yes, on the was. show a couple days ago. And – uh, he's all for that pick. But I think to your point, Trent, I think you're getting to a point where the Cowboys just almost need to go defense. You're seeing it there. As to your question on what the deal would be with the offensive trending, think about this. And this just goes to show you the difference in where the drop-off is from year to year. Alabama, according to Mel's latest mock, the one you're referencing is Mel and Todd going back and forth in some alternating fashion, which I think was released today. 
but Mel had six uh, six Alabama players in his first round. I mean, that's almost a quarter of, of the first round from Alabama. But what's interesting is last year LSU had 14 players drafted, led by Joe Burrow, of course. This year, LSU has in Mel's mock in the first round one player Chase. in the first round, Jamar yeah. Chase. Yeah. So think about it. I mean, you can try to catch Alabama. You can be in perpetual chase of Alabama. You can maybe even pass Alabama the way they did when Burrow knocked off Tua and they won the title. But it's really hard to maintain and sustain with Alabama. Like I said, a year ago, they're going neck and neck. Literally one year later, six Bama players in the first round, um, as high as Mac Jones, as low as Christian Barmore, and one guy from LSU. I, don't, I also think it tells you, the draft tells you a lot about the state of college football and just how impressive Alabama is. There's just countless ways to describe how impressive Alabama is, but that's a good one. There's no drop-off whatsoever at the draft-level production at the highest round. So it's probably a function of the Cowboys wanting to go defense but the league trending offensively. Uh, Zubin, I want to uh, stay stay in the uh, NFL, but I want to switch gears away from the draft. Did you get an opportunity to see Alex Smith's video, uh, his farewell video, his announcement video that he's retiring that uh, that he put out? If you, if our, uh, anybody in the audience hasn't seen it, I know it's up at ESPN.com right now. And, and the rehab that he went through, what, what really uh, struck home to me, or resonated, a better way to put it, Zubin, is you know when he was going through all this rehab, and there was a time that he was going to lose his leg and potentially maybe even worse than that, right? Um, but when they put a football in his hand, when he was going through rehab and those tedious day after day after day of trying to you know, see progress, and not only physically but mentally maybe as important, when they put a football in his hand to one of the rehab exercises he was going through, it completely uh, flipped a switch. Do you, did you see the video, Zubin? And, I mean, one of the greatest comebacks I think we're ever going to see in the NFL is what he did, and I'm so glad that he left, um, you know, because that's what we'll remember, the comeback year, not sticking around a couple of years too long. No, I totally agree. Video is amazing. We had Alex on the program a few months ago, but I, I, I uh, am disappointed that we had him on uh, before an amazing profile. If you want to see that video, like Ken said, it's on the website. But he was also on 60 Minutes not too long ago. And they talked to his wife, and his wife actually said, as he was sedated and they weren't able to talk to him, um, they went up to his wife and asked, what do you think should happen? And his wife said, I think he should cut off his leg. And she said that. She goes, I think he should cut off his leg. And then obviously Alex Smith awoke. Obviously it's his leg. So they went over to him and said, what do you think? He goes, no, 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 you're not doing that. We're going to try to make a comeback. He went through 17 surgeries to come back from this particular injury. And I think what's really great about him is the arc of his career. He'll always be remembered, unfortunately, for that injury, the way Theismann will be remembered when Lawrence Taylor landed on him and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you take a look at the arc of his career, he started as the first overall pick in the 05 draft, and all he heard was, yeah, well, Aaron Rodgers got picked 23, 24 spots below you and the 49ers blew it they should have taken the no cow kid they took you instead and that's how his career started and he was frustrated at times i'm sure he was as rogers you know went to amazing heights and people were wondering why that happened but he handled it well went to kansas city served as a mentor for patrick mahomes mahomes will be the first person to tell you part of the reason this was so easy for him to succeed not just because of his natural talent was because Alex Smith realized exactly what his role would be. This wasn't exactly Favre and Rogers. This was a lot more 
harmonious, and Mahomes has gone out of his way, effusive in his praise, about what Alex Smith did for him. And then to be the NFL's comeback player of the year and decide, you know what, I'm not going to come back. I'm just going to leave on my own terms. Quite a career, quite a 16 years, highs of highs being drafted one, lows of lows, people wondering why in the world we were drafted ahead of Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think any of that stuff's really going to matter because, like you said, I think what people are going to remember the most is his just ability to get back onto the field and the ability for him to walk away. You know, he, he said this morning he probably had a couple of years left. I mean, Washington's quarterback situation is in complete disarray right now. Um, so, you know, he maybe could have come back for another year, but for him to be able to leave on his own terms with this sort of story is pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. 16 years in the league, and like you said, probably uh, one of the great redemption stories in NFL history. No doubt about it. Zuba Mahente, ESPN Radio Mornings, ESPN Radio with Jay Williams and Keyshawn Johnson. Zubin, thank you. I appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Have a great week, Zubin. You too, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Zuba Mahente from ESPN. Trent, I know your play of the day. You do? I know your play of the week. Is it something we uh, talked about a little earlier? A guy that's on the bump? Well, he's pitching today, yes, but yeah. it, but it's it goes back to... Last week's conversation. Uh-huh. Yes, you you know me well. I got a lot of plays today. Do you? I even got a couple NBA plays. That's scary. I've been doing well in the NBA the last few well, week or so. All right, well, heat up. We will uh, find out on the other side. But you are betting on the Cleveland Indians today to hammer Carlos Rodon on the no no. Ding ding ding. Uh, Miller and Condon, fourteen sixty KXO and one zero. 106- If you want to work in a field with opportunities, Wolf Construction might be the place for you. Wolf Construction is looking for framing and trim carpenters of all skill levels. We are looking for people who will plan well, choose to be a positive influence, and choose to put teammates ahead of themselves. We offer competitive wages, health insurance, PTO and paid holidays, a matching 401k plan, and much more. If you're interested in learning more, go to wolfconstruction.net and click on the Now Hiring button. Be a part of a team that... You can see it. Picture it, the building you've always wanted, an expansion of your existing business, a new retail center where your growth really begins to take off. You've got the vision, but now what? Now you connect with Graphite Construction Group. Formerly Roshan Corporation of Iowa, Graphite Construction Group is the partner you want to match your vision. From the moment you first connect to long after the build is complete, nobody does it better than Graphite Construction Group. See why at GraphiteGR. So what's behind this? Listen. I was going to clean my room until I got high. <laughs> 420. Uh-huh. Uh, Miller and Condon, welcome back. 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. It's my dude Afro Man. <laughs> Who is it? Afro Man. All right. This is a song of my youth. Is it? Yeah. I think I've heard it a time or two. Anyways. Um, so Dane Brugler, who we both uh, read at the Athletics, really, really good yes, on, yes. on the draft. Did you see his 10 sleepers in this year's draft? I didn't it see that It came out one. yesterday. Okay. I saw uh, his seven-round mock yeah, draft. That's crazy, but yeah. it's a tough exercise. It is. Uh, so anyways, his top 10. These are his 10 sleepers in the NFL draft. At number six from Iowa State is? Kenny Nwangu. At number two from the University of Iowa is? Amir Smith-Marset. No. Chauncey Golson. No. Larry Jackson. No. 
Davion Nixon? No. Nick Neiman? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, it took a while. Nick Neiman. That's his second-rated sleeper in the draft. Better for NFL career than his brother has had. Well, his brother's got a Super Bowl ring. He does. Uh, He's also knocked a lot by our Chiefs guys. Yeah, that's true, isn't he? Yeah. He really is. Uh, all right, so uh, baseball, you, you love baseball, you love the NBA mm-hmm. today. You are going to be firing at all of your accounts. Yeah. Have you exhausted every opportunity to get free money? Have you signed up all, all of them yet? I still have one remaining. That, Saving uh, it for football? Yes, yes, you know me well. <laughs> uh, everything else, though, yes, I, I've hit basically every. And we're going to have Circa coming to our state yeah, here are. this summer. That's going to hopefully mean uh, some more free money to play Three around Three weeks from today, I think I'll be at Circa. Nice. Take now, some was, pictures. Was Ross Peterson there this weekend? Did I don't I know if he was at rumor? Circa. He was in Vegas, but I don't know where exactly he was. Uh, I can't wait to see it firsthand. Yeah. I mean, I, I love old downtown. Um, I wish I would have spent more time there. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I can't wait to see I can't wait to see Circa. All right. What are you betting on tonight? I uh, got a two-team parlay. Dodgers-Reds. Love it. Dodgers and the Reds. Dodgers, Reds. Dodgers are in Seattle. Not a heavy price on that one, yes, in Seattle. And I have no idea who's playing the Reds. The Reds have the D-backs in town. Okay. And pitching matchup is favorable? Yes. Uh, you mentioned Casillas on the bump for the Reds. Uh-huh. You mentioned, yes, I will be heavily involved in the Indians today against the White Sox. Mm-hmm. First five, yes, please, and full game. And the NBA... How are the Kings only favored by three against the T-Wolves? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. Well, Tim, Minnesota's awful. Yeah. And the Kings are okay. And Minnesota, if they don't finish in the top three in the lottery, they lose their pick. Right. They are, you know, I would have to think, I would have to hope, tank. the tank is in full force. It's in Sacramento. Lay the three with the Kings and Tyrese. Hour and five minutes till Murph and Andy. The Fanatics at three. Morning rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon. Weekdays 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO. 106.3 FM.